welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. We are in the waning stages of the World Cup, just the semifinals and final left to go, and I guess third place game. I am John Block, joined as always by Jorge de Neve. Hello, guys. We've got some quarterfinal games to recap for you, as well as semifinal games to preview. So let's just hop right into it with France's 2-0 win over Uruguay in the first quarterfinal. Uh, what were your major takeaways from this game, Jorge? That Uruguay needed Cavani. Um, I think a lot of the time I was just kind of watching the way that France was able to shut down Suarez on his own. I was thinking, man, if he had another runner or someone to maybe win flicks, if he could run off him, if he could, he could have someone else running for him, that, that Uruguay would have created a lot more. Because to me, France was, was very solid. They, they did what they had to do, and they game-planned very well for the team that was out to face them. But I didn't see anything that could convince me they could actually stop Suarez and Cavani um, the way they looked against Portugal. Yeah, I will ad- admit that I was wrong here. I was pretty confident that, that Cavani was going to play. You know, he just I had a hunch, I guess, his injury didn't seem too serious when he went off against Portugal. And yeah, he, he didn't play, and I do think that really hurt Uruguay because, not only because he wasn't there and, you know, Cavani had, had been playing really well up to that point, obviously a brace in Uruguay's previous game against Portugal, but, you know, not only is Cavani not there, now you only have Suarez to deal with, so you can send, you know, like even more effort towards shutting him down, and he really didn't get on the ball very often, so he, just, he didn't really have an opportunity to do much of anything know, much less not do anything in general. So, I mean, yeah, Cavani not playing definitely hurt. I think uh, for, you know, to look at the France side, I I agree that they were pretty compact. They controlled the game well. They managed the game well. I would say that was obviously easier for them with Cavani not there. And, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that they couldn't have done it you know, with Cavani playing, I think it would have been more difficult. But I, I think they played well enough without him that I think they, they could have done a good job even with him. You know, I don't, obviously not as well. And maybe they do give up, you know, at least one goal, maybe two. But offensively, I think we saw something that we maybe expected where France wasn't really able to penetrate the, the Uruguay defense that much. They, they scored two goals, but one of them was off a set piece headed in by Rafael Varane. The other was you know, a knuckling shot from Griezmann that Muslera, it wasn't the easiest save, but definitely a save he should have made and one that bounced off his hands and into the back of the net. So there's still some concerns for France as far as you know, if they can really break down the best defenses. But at the same time, you know, they've got Belgium next, which doesn't have one of the best defenses. They're in the semifinal. So you know, if they can keep playing as all-around solidly as they have and still manage to get goals, you know, they're looking pretty good. Yeah, I on the set piece, I was really, really impressed with Griezmann's run-up. He did the little fake. He stopped mid-run-up, had the Uruguay defense drop in and gave around an extra bit of space to run at it. So that was cool. I enjoyed that. Um, but at the end of the first half, Uruguay had the chance off to their set piece. I think it was um, Caceres who had a header that Loris made a really, really good save from. And then Godin blasted the rebound from two yards out high and wide. I think that could have changed the game, and it it really hurts as well to see Fernando Muslera, who 
in my mind, may have been the most consistent goalkeeper this tournament so far. Make make a mistake like that. Um, and really, everyone's just going to forget about that whole tournament. Yeah, it is a shame because Uruguay looked like a, a pretty solid team up to this point. And, you know, had, had Cavani been healthy, you definitely don't know how far they could have gotten. And, and even without that, you know, I think France were the deserving winners. But it's not like Uruguay played terribly by any means. I think they just struggled to create chances and, and ended up giving two two unfortunate goals. I mean, the, the set-piece one, I agree, well done from Griezmann. And then, you know, Mousselera makes that error. So, you know, France deserving winners, Uruguay, a good tournament. And they've been having good tournaments consistently, you know, obviously making it to the semifinal in 2010 and then making it out of a really tough group four years ago, making it to the quarterfinals this tournament. You know, that's not something that we've seen from Uruguay before that. They, they really hadn't had World Cup success to this level since, you know, they were winning the World Cup at the, at the very beginning of, you know, when World Cups first started. So it's good to see them like this. I don't know if they can keep it up just because, you know, Godin will be past his prime next World Cup if he plays at all. Suarez and Cavani both will be, you would think. So, you know, the the linchpins of their team are, are maybe aging out a bit. And, you know, that, that'd certainly be a shame because they've been a fun team to watch for a while now. Yeah, it'll be very curious or interesting to see how they progress over the next four years. Because they really have been very, very solid the past three World Cups. Um, this is really their golden generation. Um, I mean, in 2014, realistically, they were undone by the Suarez injury. Costa Rica ends up winning that group and manages to play Greece, whereas Uruguay, because Suarez is hurt game one, loses to Costa Rica, ends up playing Colombia against the James Rodriguez, who was just completely on fire. Um, if they can replace a player like that and Cavani, the way he's looked and um, Godin and Jimenez, then that would be huge. But I mean, they did it with Forland, So it's not that outlandish to think that Uruguay will be fine moving forward. Yeah. And I think that that'd be great to see them be able to continue to produce players who, who are enjoyed to watch for Uruguay, but then who also, you know, are fun to watch, you know, like Suarez for Barcelona and Liverpool before that, a really enjoyable player to watch. So, you know, more of that would, would definitely be welcome. But to move on to our next quarterfinal game, Belgium beat Brazil 2-1, two goals by Belgium, and then a lot of Brazil pressure that led to one goal, but not an equalizer. And the, the team that I think most people were saying had the best chance to win it going into the quarterfinals ends up losing. Yeah, I, I think you said it last time that Casemiro being suspended was a huge, huge deal. And it was, because Fernandinho came on as his replacement. The Brazil team was very stable with Casemiro. Um, and Fernandinho just looked like he was missing a little match sharpness. He ran around, he was energetic, but there were a few misplaced passes when they were on a dangerous attack. He had the own goal. And for Belgium's second goal, he let Lukaku walk right by him without even trying to take him down. Um, and by the time Paulinho managed to come back and take him down, the ball's already with Kevin De Bruyne. So it, it, it hurt to see that. It also hurt to see Brazil miss so many chances inside the box. Because they really had five chances in the final ten minutes, it felt like, felt like to get an equalizer. 
Yeah, no, they, they definitely controlled the game after going down 2-0, similar to what Belgium did after they went down 2-0 against Japan. Obviously, circumstances differ a little bit. But, I mean, Brazil had the majority of chances in that game. And, and something you said when we previewed this game was that it might end up coming down to the goalkeepers. And we were thinking if, if that happened, it might favor Brazil because you know Alisson had been playing well and, and Courtois had looked a little shaky. But it ended up being the reverse, and I think you know you could argue that it came down to the goalkeepers, but it was Courtois for Belgium who really made the difference. He he made a number of really really good saves and, and had an excellent game. I would say he was the man of the match. He was. I he finally showed why he was such a highly touted prospect for Chelsea, and why they felt it was very very important to loan him out to Atletico Madrid when Petr Cech was still there. And why he he hasn't really been challenged, even while having some inconsistent performances in the Premier League. Not once has Chelsea really thought, yeah, we need a new goalkeeper. And it's because he can produce games like this. He was very commanding in his area. He made a number of good saves at full stretch. Um, his distribution was decent. I mean, it was nothing spectacular, but he... He didn't make any howlers like he almost did against Japan. And I, he's peaking at the right time. World Cup quarterfinal, when all of a sudden you feel like you've turned a corner and you're unbeatable now, that's that's big. Yeah, it definitely helps Belgium a lot. I mean, considering the specifics of that team and you know, overall, you know, in general, going forward to have a goalkeeper who's really in form and, you know, yeah, Courtois keeping it up, keeping his performance up, playing like he did against Brazil would, would definitely be a huge bonus for Belgium. I think another thing with Belgium is we finally got the, the game we wanted to see for them, which was, you know, them playing a, a high-level opponent actually trying because they certainly didn't do that against England and England didn't do that against them. And, you know, the concerns are still there, but they, got, they came away with a win against a Brazil team that was looking really good. So, I mean, does this you know, ameliorate maybe some of your concerns for Belgium, or does it show that, you know, those concerns are still really strong, but, you know, their strengths outweigh them or can outweigh them? What's your takeaway from finally seeing, you know, a, a real Belgian performance in this World Cup? They're exactly who we thought they were, is what I will say. It, I don't think that their concerns have really gone away. They're there, but I, I think their strengths have finally convinced me that they can pull this off. Hazard was very good, relieving some pressure at the end of the game, holding the ball close, winning free kicks. De Bruyne had a good game. Um, and then the two Manchester United players that played big roles in this game, one, it hurts me so much that Marwan Fellaini makes this team better because he's, he's a player that is good for taking a hard foul and heading, heading the ball. And with the the attacking talent that Belgium has, you'd think, hey, uh, a Dembele would help him keep the ball. Maybe Mertens would help him keep the ball and De Bruyne in the midfield. But it it worked with Fellaini. Two, Jose Mourinho needs to let Romelu Lukaku loose because he was he's fast, he's strong, he's technically gifted, he has good vision. I, I don't think he did anything wrong in that game. And it was it was a shock to see him come off early given how good of an outlet he is. Yeah, that, that was a, a bit of a con- confusing sub for me as well. I mean, it ended up not mattering too much. Belgium got the win. For the Brazil side, we, we talked a bit, or you talked a bit, about how Casemiro 
missing definitely hurt, and, and I would agree with that. But something that I think you, you can't pin solely on, you know, Fernandinho not being as good as Casemiro is Brazil just not defending the counter very well, especially when you're up against this Belgium team that everyone knows they're really good on the counter. And I'm just curious if you have any idea, like, what the mistake was beyond just Fernandinho being in there. Obviously, that's not a mistake because Casemiro was suspended. But, you know, maybe Belgium just set up in a way that left them vulnerable to the counter, which Belgium was able to score their second goal on. I mean, it's hard to call it a mistake because when you look at that second goal, you had the two runners going down Brazil's left side, which is left wide open because Marcelo could play. I mean, you're not going to stop Marcelo from attacking, but they, they didn't cover that adequately because they, they showed the the bird's eye replay where you could see across the whole field. And as Lukaku was streaking down the middle, Belgium had their two runners off to the right and Coutinho was dropping. And I think at one point he then pinches into the middle of the field and there's, I think Mounier was the other runner and De Bruyne who were left completely unmarked for Lukaku to just pick out. And then De Bruyne hit his thunderbolt. Um, and I don't think they really countered down, down Fagner's side. Um, I think Roberto Martinez game plan for that and saw, hey, Marcelo's going to play. We're going to attack down that side because he's not going to be there. And, and it worked. Yeah, there's something to be said for Roberto Martinez, who has taken a, a lot of flack as a manager, managing this game well. He, he switched to more of a back four with Mounier at right back instead of right wing, Vertonghen as a left back. I think you know you still saw them kind of shift into that three at the back shape. Munia definitely pushed up a lot more than Vertonghen did. And you had Chadley, you know, sort of still playing that left wing back role a bit, you know, being able to push even higher up the field than he would have otherwise maybe. But I mean, I think, you know, ultimately it worked and they were able to do enough against Brazil. I think, you know, Brazil easily could have won that game. I'm not saying they, they definitely deserve to over Belgium, but they created enough chances where, you know, they, it wouldn't have shocked me. It wouldn't have been an unfair result for them to have won that game. But at the same time, you know, I think there is some credit to be given out for Belgium's tactics. You know, the the defensive change, like I said, also bringing on Fellaini, I agree that I'm not thrilled that, you know, he's an important part and, like, doing well because I'm not a, a huge fan of him as a player. But I think bringing him on definitely helped and also let De Bruyne go further forward and, and have a bigger impact in the attack, obviously getting that second goal. Yeah, I expect him to run the same lineup out again. I mean, not just Fellaini was the change, but Nasser Chadley came in to start over Carrasco, and he looked much, much better. Uh, I think Belgium's actually in pretty good shape. That did it for Saturday, and then really the only boring game of this round, in my opinion, was Sweden nil, England 2. England on to the semifinals for the first time since 1990, I think. Um Goals from Deli Alley and Harry Maguire. England have been good on set pieces throughout this tournament, and you saw it again with Harry Maguire's goal. I, I think there's there's a lot to be said, and, and credit to Kieran Trippier on that note because you know he's gotten some flack for for getting into that lineup. I think some people have been critical of him, but his set pieces have been good. At least like his his crosses into the box, maybe not his free kicks quite as much. But, but his crosses have been good and have been really helpful for England, as well as just having a lot of good headers for the ball in there. You know, you've got Harry Maguire, you've got Harry Kane up top, obviously. 
So it, it, it helps a lot the way they're set up to be good on set pieces, and they are, I mean, obviously a lot better than they were two years ago in the Euros when they had Harry Kane taking corners, but it, it's hard not to have better set piece tactics than that. But, I mean, I think this, yeah, wasn't the most exciting game, but at the same time, I was definitely impressed by the performance from England. I think, you know, against a Sweden team that isn't especially good at attacking and the way England defends with five at the back, you know, they maybe, it was a, this a, maybe a favorable matchup for them. But at the same time, you know, they defended Sweden better than Switzerland did. They def- defended Sweden better than Mexico did, definitely. And so it was an impressive performance from them. They controlled the game very well, much the same way France did against Uruguay. And, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot to say. They they couldn't go, you know, further in the tournament make make the final. I would say you could probably say that about any of the teams left. But that they're looking good. Yeah, England has exceeded expectations at this point because they won a penalty shootout in the last round and then this round they go on and actually put in a performance that a good team is, is supposed to make the five in the back has worked much, much better than I thought it would, especially with their wing backs as Ashley Young and Kieran Trippier, the, the much maligned pair. Um, and I was impressed with Deli Ali who hasn't had a lot of time this tournament because of injury, but I think he showed exactly why Gareth Southgate is playing him at this point instead of, a maybe more fit Ruben Loftus cheek because his goal just comes from Deli Ali's tendency to make late runs into the box and win crosses and a great ball from Jesse Lingard, by the way. But Loftus cheek just isn't in that spot. I think Deli Ali gives England another dimension attacking instead of, you know, hoping Raheem Sterling does, does a nice run or Harry Kane gets a goal out of nothing. Like he so often does. Uh, and then they continue to be good on set pieces. They managed to get their biggest player, Harry Maguire, a free header, and he's stuck at home. Yeah, and credit to Jordan Pickford also in goal. He made uh, a couple of nice saves, uh, one especially where he, he was able to tip a, a pretty nice shot from close range over the crossbar from Berg, I think, from Sweden. And he's you know, didn't Another keeper similar to Courtois who didn't look amazing at the beginning of the tournament but has definitely improved and put in probably his best performance so far. So, you know, he that'll definitely help England as well, similar to how Courtois playing will help Belgium just because, you know, England have a tendency to maybe, you know, give up give up a chance when, when they shouldn't. And, you know, you saw in the Euros that ended up hurting them and, you know, if you've got an informed Pickford, maybe he can he can stop that chance that England might give up. Yeah, there's been a lot of England goalkeeper drama since, realistically, David Seaman retired because they've gone through Paul Robinson, David James, Robert Green, Joe Hart. Um, and even when Joe Hart looked to be the established number one, I think there was always, you know, Jack Butland in the background. And when Hart didn't play well, you think, oh, Buckland should, Butland should play. Um and now you have Pickford, and I thought it would be a similar situation with Hart where, you know, Jack Butland is still on the bench and people are thinking, oh, let Butland play, let Butland play. But I think Pickford has silenced a lot of the critics that he had, especially at the start of the tournament, including me. He, he's looked good, and I think he just seems to be growing in confidence as, as the games continue. Um, for Sweden, though, I, I feel like when you take off Forsberg in 
in the 60th minute or so when you need to score twice, that to me was just throwing in the towel. There was a point where I think they just said, all right, we're done. We're not winning. Yeah, it, it definitely looked like they didn't press the issue as much as we've seen other teams who, who were behind and really needed to go for it, which, I mean, was sort of a bummer, but also kind of fits into the way Sweden have played. I just They never really set up to be a team that could go out and attack. So that, that was always going to be tough for them, I think. At the same time, you know, I don't think Sweden can be disappointed with their World Cup performance. Making a quarterfinal for them is definitely better than they could have expected being in a group with Germany and Mexico. You know, they're probably happy just to get out of it. And, you know, making a quarterfinal, definitely a good performance from them. Especially, you know, with that lack of, of star talent, you know, you take off Emil Forsberg, you know, who really is there left to, you know, who is a player who can really get on the ball and, and take people on and make things happen. So, you know, despite that, they, they made it all the way to quarterfinals, and, and they looked pretty good doing so. They played defensively, but not in, in such a negative way that it was horrible to watch them. So, you know, credit to them for making it as far as they did. Yeah, and I think they, they shut up who was probably their biggest credit throughout the tournament, because I haven't heard much from Zlatan Ibrahimovic since the World Cup started, just saying. He he uh, he gave like his respects to the team. He he mentioned how good of a performance was in you know a, a tweet or a statement or something like that. I think maybe yesterday or something like that. Yeah. So he he you know gave his respects, which was good to see in a very unzlatan kind of way. But but you know even he can respect that the Sweden did better than expected for sure. Well, good for Zlatan. And then the final game, Russia to Croatia to. Both teams go to penalties for the second straight knockout game, and Croatia wins 4-3 um, to advance once again. May have been Was that the same score against Denmark, or was Denmark 3-2? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Oh, no, Subasic saved 3. It was 3-2. Anyway, the first 30 games of this game were pretty bad, and then Cheryshev hits a wonder, wonder goal, and all of a sudden it comes to life. Yeah, that goal from Cheryshev was pretty incredible. I mean, just the way he kind of turns and blasts it into the top of the net was really impressive. And he's, you know, obviously his tournament is over, but he looked really good. And I think you can you can see some of the, the talent. He, he probably didn't love, live up to maybe some of the expectation he had, you know, when he was at Real Madrid. At the same time, you can see, you know, why that hut was there. He he had a, a good tournament, and it's really it really makes you question why he didn't start that first game, and and why you would ever think to leave him out of the starting eleven. It, it was mind boggling because as soon as he came on, he had an instant impact. Um, VRL is about to get a lot of money for him this summer. I wouldn't be surprised if a, a mid table Premier League team says, "Ooh, look at this guy. We have a lot of money we can throw at him. Let's do it." Um, but then after that. Um, Kramaric scored, assist from Mandzukic, who showed a lot of touch. And, and then Croatia started taking control. I think they brought on Brozovic in the 60th minute and looked infinitely better, which, I mean, surprised me that he didn't start. Because he, I think you said it after the first game, he frees up Rakitic and Modric to create. And then from then on, it was essentially Luka Modric's game. Yeah, I can maybe understand why you don't do it just because against Russia, they're a team that's going to defend. So having Mandzukic and Kramaric, two guys who you know are, are good headers of the ball and, and can both you know in crowd the box and you know try to get ahead of goal, which which Kramaric ended up doing, it, you know that makes some sense to me as far as why you do that. At the same time, 
I would rather have a, a freer Modric because he's your best player by a mile, and, and just giving him as much time on the ball and, and as much opportunity to, to press the issue and, and push the ball forward and pick out a pass is always going to be the best move for Croatia. So, yeah, I think, especially, you know, they're going to be playing better teams than Russia, obviously, England in the semifinal, and, and then Belgium or France if they move on past that. you got to start Brozovic because I, I think they really are a better team. I, I've been saying that all tournament, and I think it's the pretty clear, even against Russia, that just really makes them better. Yeah, he, he really was brilliant. Um, and then to extra time, the 30 minutes, both teams went for it. You had all sorts of drama with three Croatian players being a little gimpy. They ended up taking off Versalico for uh, Korluka. Uh, Manzuic was hobbling. Subasic had a questionable hamstring. Lovren almost makes a bad giveaway to have Russia score, and then they go to the other end. Both teams scored from a set piece at, at the end of the day, um, both with similarly bad marking as well. Yeah, I think it got a little, you know, wrecked by both teams. They were really both going for it and, and seemed to sort of lose a bit of the, the organization that both teams have had pretty consistently throughout this tournament. So, yeah, I mean, it ended up evening out. Vita got the goal for Croatia and then Mario Fernandez for Russia. And that's and it depends. And I mean, on the on the scale of good penalties to bad penalties, this tournament, where would you rank this one? I would say that this was probably number two. Is my guess. Um, I thought that England Colombia actually featured a lot of good penalties. And this game, most of them were pretty good as well. The two I'm going to call out, um, Kovacic misses. That was just a great save, so that one was fine. The two I'm going to call out are are Smolov, who, with a keeper who has a questionable hamstring, went for the Panenka. I didn't get it. I I think I sat up straight and, and said, I cannot believe he was stupid enough to try that. And then Mario Fernandez goes from hero to go, lets, um, lets Subasic off the hook again, and, just blast it past the far post and everyone else just stuck theirs home and Rakitic looked like he injected more ice water into his veins because I've never seen a calmer man up to take um, the glory kick in two straight matches. Yeah, he definitely, I could not do that. Certainly he has been immense for Croatia, not only on the field, but just those two penalties, both in this game and the game against Denmark to still win really big, and I mean, you saw even Modric miss one, not in penalties, but in towards the end of that Denmark game, so, you know, Rakitic, credit to him for that, and then, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, the, the Russia penalties, especially the, the Panenka attempt really made no sense, because it was, it wasn't even like Subasic was, you know, going all out and made a really good save. He like couldn't dive all the way, so his dive was really short, which made it really easy for him to stick his hand back and, and bat the ball out of the way. So it was just like pretty obvious to not do that, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah, the worst part about the Panenka, too, is that Smolov didn't even hit it straight. He hit it to the left. I, I really didn't get it. But I guess it's karma, because I think on, on the balance from the second half to, second half on, and even during the the extra 30-minute extra time, 
Um, Croatia was the better team and probably deserved to win and, and push and force the issue a little bit more than Russia did. Although Russia finally gave us an exciting game, had the crowd behind him, fed off that, and, and really made it an end-to-end match. Yeah, I, I think this is th- definitely the, the best performance we've seen from Russia against a, a legitimate team in Croatia. They played really defensively against Spain. They looked pretty bad against Uruguay. But, but they, they showed up for this game, and credit to them for that. I mean, I will still say I'm glad that they're not going through because I think against England they would have gone back to being super defensive just because of the way England set up with Kane and with Trippier being able to push higher up and with Ashley Young being able to push higher up and, and Delhi and Jesse Lingard. I just think there's too many attacking options that Russia's aware of for them to be as going forward as they were against Croatia. Not that Croatia doesn't have attacking options. I, I just couldn't really see them doing this again. So, I mean, yeah, I, I agree Croatia are deserving winners. But, I mean, credit to Russia. They had a, a relatively easy road. Obviously, beating Spain was impressive, even though they defended and Spain didn't look good. But, I mean, I mean, you know, good for... I can't, you know, fault them for, you know, being the host nation and having a good tournament for themselves, even if they, you know, are a deserving team to go to the semifinals, and I think they're not. I can't, you know, be too upset if for them making it as far as they did. No, credit to Russia. It's It's always more exciting for a World Cup when your host nation does well. I think we saw it for the South Korea-Japan World Cup where the Koreans made it all the way to the semifinals before they lost to Germany, but it it was fun. And I, I mean, you look at the South Africa World Cup and how less excited the, the fans were when South Africa gets knocked out. So it, it was good for Russia. Moving on, though, now, we have our semifinal previews. Just three important matches left. On Tuesday, France, Belgium. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm not sure this is going to happen, but I could see this turning into a game similar to France-Argentina, where France, you know, they weren't able to do it as much against a more stout Uruguay defense, but since Belgium is more open defensively, I could really see, you know, Mbappe running between the lines and just beating players for pace. I could definitely see... You know, Guizman playing well, and, and Giroud winning some headers, and France really being able to score some goals, and, and France kind of being able to control the game a little more than Belgium, but at the same time, I think that just leaves France a little exposed defensively, and, and they haven't always defended well this tournament, and, and it's really tough to defend this Belgium attack, so I think, you know, Belgium on the counter is going to be huge, you know, Belgium just pressing the issue at the times when they do, I think they're really going to be successful in that. So I could see another high-scoring game. I know we didn't get a ton of goals in Belgium-Brazil, but I think we definitely could have, if not for a Courtois and a few Belgium counters that didn't quite make it all the way. There definitely could have been a whole lot more goals for both teams. So I would say, at the very least, there will be a lot of chances, and you know, if we're lucky, a lot of goals as well. Yeah, these teams are picking up form at the right time. And for France, Matuidi gets to come back because he was suspended for the Uruguay game. And Tolisso ended up playing on the left wing, and it didn't work. So I think Matuidi comes back. They look better offensively. Mbappe is still looking good. Um, Giroud has been good. It gives them an outlet. It gives their creative players a little more space to work. 
Um, as for Belgium, I expect them to play in a very similar way. They're going to be very direct. Lukaku's going to create a lot. Hazard, De Bruyne, are good. they're going to run at people. And I think this game comes down, actually, to how well Paul Pogba can play. Because he, he's the one that gives France a real leg up in the midfield. Because Conte is your midfielder that's going to run around, break up a lot of the play, and then just keep it simple and distribute. Pogba is, is the one that takes your team into another gear. If he can lift his game to, to the level that he was producing at Juventus, which is a very big give because he hasn't really consistently produced that for two years, then France is the best team left. Because the Belgian midfield of Witzel and Fellaini just can't compete with that. If he doesn't, then this becomes more of a track meet with players running at each other. And I think um, Belgium has three players that are very good at that versus um, France's one in Mbappe. So unless Pogba steps it up, I'm taking Belgium here. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair thing. What I think is going to matter a lot is, is substitutions. I think that's going to be a really important factor in, in this game. You know, because I think either team really has the ability to get in front, and then what teams do when they're in front and when they're trailing, I think is going to matter because I think both teams have enough goal scoring potential that that can shift really easily. So, you know, when or if does France maybe take off a midfielder and put on someone like Ousmane Dembele to, you know, add an extra winger, add an extra attacking player? I think will matter a lot because, you know, if they're down a goal, maybe Belgium gets an early goal. Obviously, you don't want to make that sub right away because you want to maintain some defensive capabilities. At the same time, if you do it too late, it gets kind of scrambly. You're, you're pushing too much. And, you know, we saw at the end of that Brazil game, Brazil got chances, but Belgium was a lot more compact than they've been. And they really just let their attacking players, you know, Hazard and, you know, De Bruyne sometimes and Lukaku before he got taken off kind of, manage manage the ball going forward by themselves so they can maintain, you know, a bit more defensive shape. So, you know, that's going to be a chess game at the same time, you know, do you maybe take off Witzel or Fellaini and put on Mertens since, you know, he didn't start in the Brazil game because he adds another attacking element to Belgium if it's the other way. So I think, you know, what Roberto Martinez and what Didier Deschamps, both managers, you know, who haven't been the most highly praised, what they do, I think, is going to really matter in this one. I agree. And uh, one other thing that may or may not matter, I really don't know how much of an effect it'll have, is that Thierry Henry is an assistant coach for Belgium, and he played with Deschamps. He, he won a World Cup with Deschamps. I don't know, because obviously the game has changed in the last you know, 15 years. Um, if Henry has a greater insight into the way Deschamps thinks, but because it's not like he played with any of the current French, French players, so he doesn't give Belgium an advantage that way. But if he knows how Deschamps thinks, then maybe Roberto Martinez is able to, to game plan a little bit for it. Um, and either way, maybe for, for the French players sitting there to look at this living legend on the Belgian bench and wondering oh, what kind of advice are you giving there? He's won a World Cup, made it to the final of the other. Does that, does that start playing mind games with the French players, who I still don't think are all that mentally tough? So that'll be interesting to watch to see if they, if they're inside their heads. Yeah, I think you know we've seen Belgium be able to battle a little more this tournament, and they've definitely 
you know, they've got some young players, but they've also got some pretty established veteran players at the same time. And even their younger players like Lukaku have, have been around and, you know, have led teams in the past and kind of been the star guy. So I, I agree that I think Belgium do have the edge there. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't really see Henri being that helpful. I, I would be kind of surprised. But but maybe I, I think the mental toughness really comes in more if Belgium are able to get ahead and, you know, if France, you know, they might struggle to kind of battle back. I mean, we saw them do it against Argentina, but Argentina was just a mess. I think any team really could have battled back against them. So it'll be a bigger challenge if Belgium's able to get on the board first for France this time. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. It's That's probably a more reasoned take. Uh, but Henri is just an interesting little tidbit that, you know, the commentator is just going to throw in there. Oh, look, there's Thierry Henry on the Belgian bench. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get plenty of camera shots uh, towards him during the match. Yeah, but don't forget, we told you that first, listeners. Anyway, the other one on Wednesday, we have Croatia-England. Both teams have been kind of hot and cold, but both looked pretty good last match. Um, How do you expect them to to really attack each other? Yeah, I I think England, you know, can do more of what they've done. I think Croatia can defend very well, they're organized, but so is Sweden, and you saw that England was able to attack against Sweden pretty well. And, you know, I would say the quality of Croatian defenders is maybe a little higher, but not all that much higher than Sweden's. It's not like they've got big names. The only only real big name they've got in there is Stehan Lovren, who, you know, is not anywhere close to a world-class center back. So they're organized, they play well defensively, but I'm not as worried about England. What I do wonder is how Croatia is going to create chances because we've definitely seen them struggle to do that at times. And this England defense, you know, when they haven't made mistakes and they have made mistakes, but when they haven't, they've looked pretty solid defensively. I mean, we really haven't seen them, you know, give up a a whole lot of chances. So I I am curious whether Croatia is trying to do more on, on the wings and cross it into Mandzukic and maybe Kramaric if he plays, or if they're going to try to work it through the middle with Modric and, Modric and Rakitic. Personally, I think that second option works a lot better because England's, you know, the the flaw in their style of play, the, the one way where they have a weakness, is with they only have Jordan Henderson as, as a real box-to-box center midfielder. You know, you could have Deli Ellie and Jesse Lingard come back a little more, but they're really not players who you can expect to defend at a high level. And so I think, you know, Modric and Rakitic combined against just Jordan Henderson in the thick of midfield, you know, you definitely give the advantage to Croatia there, and I think they have to exploit that if they want to create chances. Yeah, I mean, when when Croatia brought on Brozovic against Russia, they took off Perisic and pushed Kramaric out wide. I actually think that Mandzukic and Kramaric played very well off each other, and that worked, and I expect Croatia to actually do it again. Um, And I expect them to start Brozovic, because, again, Modric and Rakitic looked a lot better. Croatia was able to play more direct and let let Modric create a little closer to goal. Um, So I think that's how Croatia has to create chances. They have to figure out how to to play both Kramaric and and Mandzukic, and yet still have Brozovic in to give Rakitic and Modric that freedom. And I think I think the player that gets sacrificed is is Rebic, who's been good, but I, I think they'll choose Perisic over Rebic if they go for that. 
Number two, for England to create chances, I think all these Premier League players who have have seen Lovren play all year and have seen the type of mistakes he made are salivating, especially a clever forward like Harry Kane. And I think they're they're probably looking at Ashley Young and they'll probably concentrate a lot of their attacks down the left-hand side if Versalico isn't fit to play this game because he had to come off an extra time with an injury and he was limping around for about 30 minutes against Russia. And they looked considerably weaker down that side when they had to push Vita out there, who, who has been playing center back the whole tournament. Um, so I think despite both teams not creating all that much, this is a game that's going to be very direct and, and have a lot of action near both boxes instead of in the middle of the field, which, which leads to an, an exciting match, thankfully. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Croatia maybe plays a little bit more defensively than they have just because you know, England ha- has more attacking potential and Croatia is a team that is probably defense first, I would say. But at the same time, I, I think you know, this is a, a really intriguing matchup and I expect it to be exciting uh, unless both teams get kind of nervy to the point of not really pressing the issue. I'm hoping that doesn't happen and, and I can definitely see this being you know, at least as exciting as a Belgium-France game, which looks to be a pretty good matchup. Um, One other thing that I I think could play into the game is, you know, Croatia have now gone 120 minutes two games in a row. So I I think, you know, not only is it, you know, is someone like Rosalico fit to play the game at all, but, you know, our other players, you know, is Rakitic maybe a bit on tired legs, after playing, you know, two hundred twenty minute games, so or is Parasic on the wing maybe a little tired? I think you know maybe not, but that is something that, that could factor in as you get late in the game, especially if it ends up going into extra time. Yeah, um, now that you say that, maybe they maybe they bring on Mateo Kovacic to start because they have players that are just tired. I think fatigue is definitely something to watch for. Less so for England than it is for Croatia, but England also went one hundred twenty minutes in their first match, so it it'll affect them a little bit. But especially Croatia, because they were they were dropping like flies anyway when they were playing Russia. And if they have to do anything similar to that again, uh, they they may just crumble. Yeah, I think for that reason, I would probably give the edge to England here. Uh, if I had to pick a team, I mean, I think you know, with with any of the four teams remaining, I could see any of them winning the semifinal matchup and any of them winning the final. To be honest, but you know, if I if I have to pick a team in this one, I would say England get the edge. I'd probably go with you, especially because they're still on a high from having won the the penalty shootout and just really having dominated Sweden. Um, as long as they're professional, I, I think they win it. I think we see a Belgium-England final. Yeah, I'd probably pick France-England if I had to. I don't know that I said any any one way or the other in the France-Belgium game, but I mean, I, I would say that's maybe a little closer for me than, than England-Croatia. I say maybe England, I give like 65-35 over Croatia, France maybe 55-45 over Belgium, but like like I said, could go either way and I wouldn't be surprised for either game. It should be a, it should be a good semifinal though. I am definitely looking forward to these ones. Yep, we we have one match a day. We have plenty of time to gnaw on them. And yeah, just kind of sad the tournament's almost over. It, it is sad. Champions League if you're interested. First qualifying round begins on Tuesday. I don't know where or how you can watch any of those games, but if you if you need your soccer fix after the France Belgium game, I think Celtic actually plays on Tuesday. 
against who knows who. So, yeah. Um, but, but that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back for another episode after the semifinal to recap those games and preview the final. Until then, enjoy the semifinal games, and we'll see ya.